Welcome to season two of the Age Sister podcast. This season, we're talking all about women at work. So let's get started with today's expert. Hey, everyone. I have an amazing guest on the show today. I'm joined by Sonia Lewis. Sonia is an anti-racism impact strategist whose work really began when she was seven years old, when she refused to say the Pledge of Allegiance because she didn't see liberty and justice for all, especially those who look like her, her family, and her community. She went on to earn degrees in history and psychology. She's got a master's in education and was teaching for almost 20 years before she founded her company, Ascribe Educational Consulting. And she's now on a mission to really rectify the harm and impression of racism. She's unflinching and asking tough questions and facing uncomfortable truths and really building on equity-driven outcomes. I think you're really going to enjoy our conversation today. I learned a lot from Sonia. So welcome, Sonia. Thank you so much, Kate. I appreciate being here with you. I'm so excited to talk to you today. I guess I'll just start, as I always do, by asking you how you got to doing this work that you're doing. How did you come to today? You know, it's so interesting. The journey that I've taken to get to this point in life, in career, in just being a woman, I started off as a high school teacher um, teaching um, history and social studies. And I had the unfortunate pleasure of becoming a whistleblower. Um, because my integrity just wouldn't allow me to see the things that I saw and not say something about it. Um, I then had to sever my ties from the school district that I was working with. Um, That led to um, a severance package and um, just a lot of mixed emotions and uncertainty of where life was going to go. But I took the funds from that severance payout and I started Ascribe Educational Consulting because parents and students and other former colleagues of mine were still calling me, asking me, Sonia, can you create a program? Sonia, can you help with this? And so Ascribe is like my dream of what educational equity could potentially look like. And so now I am able to go into schools and districts and corporate organizations and nonprofits and say to the leaders, are you really really meeting the equitable expectations of everyone who is a stakeholder within your organization? And it's fun. And now I really get to be very unapologetic about the work and say things like, I am an anti-racism racism impact strategist. How are you doing to acknowledge racism within your organization and within your industry? And it is, it's been a journey. Amazing. One of the things that I read in your um, bio was just this idea of thinking about common language and the ways that we can think about common language to galvanize this anti-racist mindset. Can you talk about that a little bit for me? Yeah, there are some key cornerstones. I think that people get confused sometimes when they hear certain terms and they, they say to themselves, oh, well, I'm not a racist, right? And that's fine. We can come to the conclusion that a person's not a racist and that, but there are still racist institutions and structures and very systemic approaches that are intentional that target large groups of people in this world. And so when I think of the framework um, of, of just racism as an overarching theme, I'm wanting people to think about ways in which they are anti-racist. Like, how are you working every day to not 
perpetuate, to not um, allow for racist policies and practices, beliefs and behaviors to show up in the spaces that you are engaged in. Um, So that's one big common language misnomer that people get confused. Other ones are like biases and prejudice and and, um, how do we microaggress people and what is the impact on the back end, especially when there is this this ideation of um, racialized trauma that is happening. It's not happening individually. It's happening simultaneously. So we're talking about at intersections when these things are happening. And so how do we equip people with tools to, one, articulate that this is something that's going on, um, especially when you're on the receiving end of it, but also when you are the one who is maybe are in a position or a seat of power um, and decision making, and you don't have the language to say, I can identify that, right? And so common language, shared language is very important to this work. Mm. And you mentioned the word intersection. I'm really interested in this idea, and especially because of the work that I do in aging. Um, And so I'm interested specifically in that idea around the intersection of um, race and gender and aging together. Do you have any thoughts on that? Absolutely. And, And I'm glad you asked that question because, and I don't get that question often, but Part of the foundation of my dream of my business is um, multi-generational, right? And so what I mean by that is I've been able, I've I've just been extremely blessed in my journey. Um, I've been able to bring my mother out of retirement. She has a lens from a um, civil rights um, perspective. She has a lens from a, her parents grew out of the Great Depression she has a lens that I don't have, right? But I've also been able to hire my daughter part-time who is a, a Gen Xer, right? And and a, a, from a, a younger perspective than I. And then my younger children are my my brand warriors. And, and they I, I'll often ask them, what are their thoughts around the issues that they see in public eye? And so what I've tried to create is a multi, multi-generational um, intersection so that we can really appreciate the various um, perspectives that come to the table. And it's important that we not silence the voices of our youth because the future is theirs, but at the same time that they are able to lean on the wisdom of our elders because they've experienced some things and seen some things and they might be able to add um, just a, a, a sense of clarity to what's going on in the world and so at our intersections, right, they are extremely important for people to see the similarities in who we are while we can also notice the differences of who we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So maybe just to follow up on that a little, um, there's a word that comes up a lot lately, and I've heard it in all sorts of different um, viewpoints. Um, can you talk to me about the word ally? Yeah, an ally. I think sometimes right now in this moment where I am with the word ally, I will tell you that I'm over it almost, right? (laughs) I can tell you that December 31st of 2020, when we were going into 2021, I posted on my Facebook page that um, allyship is dead 
because people have the privilege and the opportunity to throw up hashtags, to throw some dollar signs and to show up when they want to for others, but they can shut it off when they want to and go back to their, their bubble of privilege. And so I'm more interested in folks galvanizing their privilege to benefit others from a, a, a viewpoint of being an accomplice. Um, from a viewpoint of being an agitator, from a viewpoint of being an abolitionist. Because if you know that there are some broken systems, um, and I, as a Black woman, a dark-skinned Black woman at that, I might not have the privilege and the power to go in and change some things, but Kate, because of privileges that you stand in, you might be able to show up and get through some doors and then open the door for a Sonia to walk in that door. And so using that privilege as an ally is ex- extremely important. But I, I would just ask those who consider themselves allies, I think that they are still learning, um, which is important. No one in, in this work, in my opinion, um, ever has just arrived. Even I, I, I've never just arrived and I know it all about you know this work. There are too many nuances that come to the table that we have to then begin to include in these conversations. And so I would just, you know, those who are wanting to um, learn about the intersections of where we all come from and want to support others in being an ally to really and truly step their game up um, because the impact is so much greater when you are really invested in that thing that you are supporting. Mm-hmm. And so what kind of things can people do to step up that game? Do you have any any tools for us or suggestions? Absolutely. One is don't belabor the people who are the most impacted with teaching you everything. Mm. I, t- I often use the phrase Google is your friend, <laughs> right? There's so We have so much resources at our fingertips and people take that for granted. But at the end of the day, um, those, I, I just feel like the, the door is wide open for people who say, I do want to do better. And that's where an ally, they're, they're at that first step of, I am wanting to do better. I want to know. I am exploring the various options. And there's this piece in um, stepping your game up from an ally to become an accomplice or an abolitionist. It's where you realize that one, your power is valuable, right? But two is that you'll never, um, there will always be people who will who will look at you in a certain kind of way. And because we don't all have the answers, we have to be vulnerable. And, and to be open to those vulnerabilities and those, the fragility that might show up, take deep breaths, um, breathe through it. Like we, we're never all going to arrive, but there is an opportunity for privilege to be used in a way that can help others. And I tell people all the time, use that privilege wisely. Don't, don't use it frivolously. Mm, Those are great suggestions. I am. I also know that employers listen to this podcast and I think about that work of organizations. um, And there's a lot of conversation around that. Do you have any specifics for organizations when they're thinking of doing this work? Absolutely. I think I have five core things that I tell any organizational leader. One, the acknowledgement is super important, but it's not enough. Racism is a thing and we have to acknowledge it. So that's one, right? 
Two, it's going beyond the acknowledgement and then taking a look at what are your policies and procedures when it comes to your inner dynamics within your organization? What does the culture and climate look like? Really evaluate that. Three, identify who those people that are within your organization that are on the margins of the margins, right? And then get some insight from them because they will tell you if you are really open to creating an equitable um, um, organization and, and work environment, they will tell you where the cracks and the gaps are, right? But they have to trust that you're going to do something with that information. So really and truly value the people who are on the margins of the margins. Um, four, I would say invest in, I don't care what your organization is, what industry you're in, in how small or large your organization is. You need to invest in not DEI, because I consider DEI an opportunity to check boxes, cross T's and dot I's, right? Mm -hmm. Give out certificates and do a, a kumbaya, rah, rah, rah moment of we accomplished this around diversity. It's not enough. Be intentional on investing in ways to shift the culture so that equity is improving year after year after year. And it doesn't happen overnight. So when I say invest in it, invest in the time that it's going to take to make those shifts. And those shifts usually take place in three to five years, not overnight. Um, and invest, value the people who come to the table who are experts in this field and don't shortchange them on um, paying them to do the quality work that they are there to do. Um, so be very intentional about that. And then the fifth thing that I would say is really be intentional about your hiring um, and retaining talent that is reflective of the global world, right? And so I say, always start out and think about a 13%. In the United States, we have a, if we, okay, so let me back up just a little bit. If we think about the spectrum of where privilege is to where not lacking privilege is, right? I would ask people to can we agree that on the bottom or the the in the group that is lacking the most privilege, they are Black folks, right? African-American folks, African-Indigenous folks. And so if we can agree there and that whoever is on the opposite end of that spectrum, let's flip it upside down now so we have it from top to bottom. And if you're lifting from the bottom, everything on the top is forced to lift as well. And so if you look at it from that perspective, so now I want to be able to impact the bottom. And in impacting the bottom, that 13% of our population, I now want organizations or organizational leaders to consider your hiring and retaining of talent that is reflective of that 13%. And then every year gradually increase that. And I mean at every level, not just at your ground level employee that you bring in, at every level, especially when it comes to leadership. Because the value in that is those people who are your lay employees, who are the face of and who touch your customers in the community that you serve, they are going to trust that you're about this work when they see leaders in positions who look like them. And I equate that to my my time, twenty almost 20 years in the teaching classroom, right? When students didn't see themselves in the curriculum, they didn't value their education. When students didn't see themselves in administrative or teacher positions, they didn't value the 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 position of those people. Um the the um 
the power that they bring to the influence that they have over their lives. And so I would ask organizational leaders, those who are interested in doing this work, to really and truly look at that. I call it the audit. And the audit is just simply evaluating where you are with equity. And so, yeah, those are my five core. When I do trainings with um, organizations, we get into about 10 principles, but my audit the five core are where we start that first year, just getting into the shared language, coming to an understanding that racism is a thing. We've acknowledged it. We're now addressing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Such great um, advice and suggestions. I want to just flip back a minute to uh, thinking about individual women and going back to this idea of um, intersectionality. And I think about midlife and older women. And the thing that I hear most often is that they feel, they start to feel invisible in society. Can you talk about how that is for um, someone in the BIPOC community? What that looks like? Is that different in that intersection of age and race? You know, there's a, we have conversations in in circles that are affinity, right? That I I oftentimes gather within organizations that I work with. So an affinity group is when you gather folks who are like-minded or like representation, right? Mm -hmm. And have conversations about where the angst and the pain points within that organization. Can we bring out and pull out some commonalities that are happening with the experiences, And hands down, in two groups that I hear this ideation of um, being erased or silenced or invisible are groups of women and groups of Black women in particular. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the difference, though. Black women have this thing. um, Some people call it magic. And I don't know that I subscribe to, you know, the the aging feature. Like if when I tell people that I'm 51 years old, they're like, no way. I'm like but I am. And so there's this magic that one, people don't believe that we age. And so we oftentimes, there is this assumption that we can show up in spaces and do different things, but we have enough wisdom and experience to say, Hmm, I've seen this before. Whereas in a, in a, um, in an autonomy women's group, right. There are things that come out about, I don't care how young you are, to how old you are, um, women are feeling silenced. And so I think that we are in a very important place in society and in the culture of um, our country and the world to say, you know, I can even say across the world is that women recognize their innate ability to sense what's right from wrong and they get to work immediately on solving problems. And so even if they are not in a position of leadership or power, what they're doing on the back end is extremely impactful. And so I tell women in general that your voice is extremely important and find like-minded women to help lift and center your voice. One, that, that's the crucial. And then create pathways within your groups of women to secure each other, Right. So that it's not one person that is going into the lion's den alone and not feeling that support, but that there are a few of you who can band together and come to the table, especially if you're not in positions of leadership and power or decision making, to say to those who are, hey, here's an issue that we would like to address. 
and we need your assistance in making sure that this is taken care of. And so voice is extremely important. And, and I just, you know, women rule the homes, women rule the communities, women rule the education. Um, and so we have to take back that presence. And if it requires us bringing a, a chair to the table that doesn't include enough chairs at the table for us, we, ha- we have to sometimes carry that chair with us. Wow. Where can we find out more about the amazing work that you're doing? Where can the listeners find out more? I would, I always tell people to go to my website, um, which is Ascribe Success. That's A-S-C-R-I-B-E success.com. And we have various programs that are there. Um, We do facilitations around anti-racism and equity work. We also do um, educate, um, we do like leadership work because sometimes I have well-intentioned leaders who say, I want to do this work, but I'm not ready. Right. And I will guarantee that individual who comes to me that the people who are the most marginalized in your group will recognize that you are not ready. So let's get you ready, right? So we have that leadership training. I call it EMS, like the emergency, you know, an ambulance is coming to rescue you. But I, it's EMS that stands for equity mindset shifting. Because sometimes we think that we're well-intentioned and that we've arrived. And then we, we discover that, mm, I didn't know that I was doing that. Or, mm, I didn't realize my gatekeeper was keeping certain people from being hired within my organization, or there are some beliefs and behaviors within my organization that are very opposite to what my mission and vision actually stand for. And how do we come to some conclusion around that? Um, it's, it's, It's hard work, right? This isn't easy work. This is hard work. And it's very taxing and laborsome. And so I, I, I tell, I invite people to take a look at the website um, you can follow us on social media. You can find us on um, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter with a very similar um, name, Ascribe Success. But it's it's the hard work. And so, yeah, be ready to be for silent moments. Silence is two things. Silence is growth, but silence is also violence because it says when you're silent and you're not doing anything about it, that you're okay with how someone else is being treated. But if you're silent and you're pondering where you can go with this information, it's challenging you to grow. Wow. That one took my breath away. (laughs) So when, when you think about just a final question, it's a big one, maybe a hard one to answer, but when you think about a more just world, especially at work, what does that look like? That is a big one. A just world is having an open door that invites people a variety of differences. It is welcoming to one's abilities. It is welcoming to one's birth and circumstances. It is welcome to, as my um, now 21-year-old is embracing his name, When he turned 16, he wanted a job. His name is Malik Faison Lewis. And he said, no one will hire me, mom. I filled out 100 applications and I think it's because of my name. And so a just world in the work and place is 
not looking at a name and thinking that it means something other than a brilliant opportunity to hire someone with talent to bring into your organization. Um, a just world is knowing that we don't all come from the same backgrounds, but we have so many similarities um, that can be galvanized around. And so when I think about that, when that is a big one, but there are so many things to, that can make a work environment just, and I just think that it, it all at the cornerstone of it boils down to equity. Mm. Well, thank you so much, Sonia, for coming on the show today. There's just so many golden nuggets in there and so many things for us to think about. I really appreciate it. I'll make sure that all your information's in the show notes. And so Listeners, if you um, want to connect with Sonia, just check out the show notes and uh, head to her website. So thanks yeah. again. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Age Sister podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to rate and review the episode on your favorite podcast app. We'll also be posting the show notes and any other important information at www.cardeahealthconsulting.com.